Broadcasting across the world from the beaches of Southern California, I welcome you to Journey with Scott. Scott is a talented medicine man who is trained with the Caro Medicine Men and Women of Peru. He has a gentle yet powerful way to work with energy, forging lifelong practical changes for those who work with him. He has a passion for helping people to create a personal treasure map for their life. As you journey with Scott, you step into a practice where you cultivate awareness, compassion, and joy that is yours to carry throughout this life and into the next. Join us weekly to find out what is possible for you and how you can create paths to ensure that the possible becomes probable. Visit us online at journeywithscott.com for personalized consultations and more. Now is the time to step into this week's adventure. Here's your host, Scott. Stay tuned to explore a deeper understanding of your part in the world around you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode. Today, I'd like to cover a subject that I know a lot of the world is affected by and that also affected me for quite a while in a really profound way, and that's anxiety. But my experiences with anxiety actually led to one of my greatest strengths. But I'd like to share with you some of my story. Maybe it will resonate for some of you. And for others, maybe it will be an insight if you're helping someone that's dealing with this in their life. Either way, it's my intent that this episode will provide people with tools that they need to work through this. So that they no longer have to suffer through what they're experiencing or what a loved one is experiencing. So when I was growing up, both of my parents were alcoholics. And as a child of an alcoholic, you're not really raised in an environment that nurtures confidence. I mean, I was debilitatingly shy because of it. And I was even afraid to use my own voice for years because of it. When you're the child of an alcoholic or someone with a substance abuse problem, you're a professional at being unseen. I mean, you can literally hide under covers pull them up over your head like the bed was made by housekeeping and just absorb into your bed, making yourself perfectly flat. Like, you know how to hide. The contrast to that, if it can even be considered contrast, is that if you do get caught and you are seen, you learn really quickly how to give the right answers and say the right thing so that you can kind of slip away. You know, like a lot of people in AA or Al-Anon, you know, often say that it's like walking on eggshells. And it kind of is. But through that, you get trained by the person who has a substance abuse issues, the right way of not having to confront them so that you can maintain your level of safety. And when you're a child of that, you're reliant on an alcoholic's perception of what you're doing, what you're feeling, what you're saying to determine your level of safety. And unfortunately, for some people, that is physical abuse. For me, I experienced physical and verbal abuse from both of my parents. And the crazy thing was, even with that, I wasn't afraid of getting physically hurt. And for me, my coping mechanism when I was a kid is I'd kind of laugh at them, even though I'd cry. I just got really tough. I got really focused on being able to be in the space, I came to a place where I learned that when I got hit, I could allow that hit to go through me. And what hurt and what stuck with me for years though, was the verbal abuse that I went through. 
And I think a lot of that was because like my dad died when I was really young, but my mom, she lived for, you know, in terms of my life twice as long as my dad did. It made it so I was more afraid of being emotionally hurt because my mom, although she didn't hit me as much like the way my dad did, was just you never knew what you're coming home to. You never knew what you when you open the door what you're walking into. And when you're trained into that habit of where you're scared shitless of what you're walking into, you become afraid of the unknown. You become afraid of not knowing what to expect. You know, as an only child, I look back on it now in the age of texting and all, and I kind of wish like I could text my neighbor and be like, have you, have you seen my mom? Is she walking around weird? Is she slurring her speech? Is she giving any of her clues? Because I need to come home now. And you know, it even went to the point where like, I remember there were times in high school where I would get kicked out of the house at the in the middle of the night, middle of the week in high school, and then have to be like, crap, what am I doing? But the cool thing about that, that I didn't realize back then, was that in this, my mom was teaching me how to create my own reality. She showed me in a really hard way what happens when you rely on others to determine your mood and your response to a situation. When you're a child of an alcoholic that's trained to give a response that keeps you safe, you forfeit your right to create your reality, and you're pulled into a habit of reacting. You can't respond because no matter what you do, no matter what you know is right, you're dealing with someone who's not in their right frame of mind. And that's really challenging to deal with, whether you're a kid, whether you're an adult, whether you're having this experience and it's one of your spouses or your brother or sister that's an adult. So although my mom didn't realize it at the time and I don't think it was her intent on her conscious mind, but it could very well be, you know, what her soul contract was with me, part of what our agreement was, and our karma made it play out in the way that is most beneficial. So although this was really challenging at the time and not fun, it paid off exponentially for me. And in that, she shared with me how to create my own world. She showed me how to create the world that you see so that you do not have to be afraid of what may happen, no matter what it may happen. And in that, you surrender to every last possibility. You even surrender to death itself. And you live in gratitude for life. You learn to take a deep breath, even if all you have for that split second in the middle of pure torment you can breathe, whether you have a screaming alcoholic parent telling you you were the biggest mistake to when you become a parent and your kid can't sleep and they're screaming at you and you're like, oh my God, I love you, but what can I do to comfort you? You can still stop. You can surrender to the moment. You can take a breath deeply. Thank you for this breath. And in that, when you claim that breath, when you claim that gratitude for life, that gratitude for every breath that you take, it will put you into the moment no matter where you are. And putting you into the moment can easily be misunderstood like, okay, well, I'm in the moment for five minutes. But you can actually scale down being in the moment to, yeah, five minutes, four minutes, two minutes, one minute, 30 seconds, 15 seconds, 10 seconds. And as you think about it, as you go down, the moment is instantaneous. You can't even ascribe you can't even prescribe time to a moment. So when you do that, the moment's timeless. 
And when you take that power, you take that gratitude for every breath that you take for being in the moment. Even if you get the slightest fraction of a millisecond to do that, you plant a seed for that consciousness to grow. And when you step into that seed and you allow it to take shape, to take form, you're unstoppable. You can do you in every moment as long as you're aware of that. You are no longer affected by your perception of what someone else's perception might be and how they may negatively affect you in the instant future. You love your value. And going back to that point in my life, I had very little value. As I said before, I had no voice. My opinion was based on someone else's opinion rather than my own. My opinion was based on what I thought would keep me safe rather than becoming a safe person, rather than being a space that honored all of these experiences. Even the beautiful torment that my mother was experiencing that made her choose to, you know, go to alcohol. And later on, my mom gave me the biggest gift she ever could have given me. She died. She agreed to die so that I could snap out of that shit, so that I could snap out of that karma. She agreed to die. I mean, what a huge gift is that? She looked at her only child and agreed to step out. I have my life. I have my power. I have my ability to help others. I have my medicine now. I have all my gifts for the world because my mother gave me this gift. But when she died, I had debilitating anxiety. I remember never understanding why someone would turn to alcohol. But then two weeks after she died, being drunk for two weeks, it was horrible. You know, I lost one of the only things that I really knew. And in that, I realized that I got exactly what I asked for. Because when I saw her suffering with her alcoholism, I always said, you know, why would someone do that? And when I realized that I got the answer to my question, I was able to stop. And after that, I remember I was driving to work one day and I was on the freeway and I just started feeling really bad. Like I started feeling really awful. Just heart was beating out of my chest. My arms hurt. I had the worst pains in my chest. I had the worst pains in my shoulders and I just breathed through it. And I was like, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. And I kept driving and the pain kept coming back in different spaces and I kept getting really lightheaded. I was kind of wondering like, shit, am I going to make it to work? And I just made the decision, you know, I'm going to make it to work. So I made it to work and then it just kept happening. I didn't know what was going on. And luckily I had some really supportive friends that I worked with at that time. One said, you know, why don't you let me take you to the doctor? We'll get it checked out. So we went to the doctor, everything checked out. Sure enough, I was young and yep, there we go. Welcome to the world of panic attacks. So I took the rest of the day off, hung out with my friend, went home and just kind of went, whoa, what was that? And how do I make sure that I don't ever deal with that again? But then I realized I was in a position. My dad died of a heart attack and my mom ultimately died of heart failure. So I could sit there and I can continue down a path My mom had anxiety. My dad had anxiety. Both of my parents had very little value. Hey, what do you think led them to alcoholism? And I can continue what they were doing with eating really crappy food. I can not take care of myself. I could have mindsets that 
basically release cortisone into my bloodstream all day long and mess up with and mess with my adrenals and also in this path it would cause me to step back from life that would be my agreement with life at that point would be instead of engaging you instead of growing instead of doing what i came here to do i would step back like they did and disengage life i would follow with what i thought someone else's perception of what the right thing to do in life would be and let that dictate my life or i could learn to work with it i could build a relationship with it and it started like okay I can overcome this or follow the heart attack path laid out by my parents. And then it shifted to learn to work with this or to follow the path of your heart attack parent. When you're suffering from panic attacks, you think that everyone around you can see how you feel, but no one knows. You don't look like you're dying despite what you think. And very, very few people would recognize what it looks like when someone's heart is about to jump out of their chest but just try to breathe, you'll be okay. And granted, that's not a lot of tools. We're not given a lot of tools. It's a pretty rough experience. And when you have the first one, you feel like you're clenched in the grip of it. And you're left wondering, when is it coming again? So much of the help out there wants to know what you're thinking, what you're afraid of, or what's going through your mind when you experience it. And the remedies for you, most of the time are talking about it in this way or medication. I didn't want medication. I saw people, I grew up seeing people who use medication as a crutch rather than my options seem pretty slim from where I am right now. So maybe I'll take a very, very, very small dose of the medication so that when I have a really horrible experience, I could take a little bit and, you know, just enough to take the edge off and learn to work through it. And that's what I chose to do. And it worked well for me. You know, I'm, I'm proud to say that through this, when I had medication for anxiety, when I had the first round of it, I was on it for a very short period of time, like probably a couple of months. And then when it came back years later, when one of my friends died of cancer, I decided I'm not going to go down the path of getting the medication again. And from that, I started to decide, okay, I'm going to take better care of myself, even better care. I'm going to find out what's available in taking care of myself. What can I do for my body that won't create an environment for this to be as likely to happen? And what can I do to make myself so healthy that I know that the risks of anything that I'm afraid of are very minimal? And that was when I first stepped into my strength with it. And the issue with talking about it in the traditional methods that I was offered was that when you have horrible anxiety and you have panic attacks, you would love to tell someone what's going on, what the problem exactly is, what you're afraid of, what emotions you're experiencing, or any other clues that could help guide them to guide you on a path to health and wellness. But you can't. By definition of consciousness, if you were conscious of those feelings, those emotions, and those fears, they wouldn't cause you anxiety. You would have cultivated enough awareness that it would allow you to step out of the role of the experiencer and into the role of the observer. And if you knew how to do that, it would be a conscious thought to do so. It would be your conscious mind choosing to mediate with the unconscious. 
you would consciously make an effort to understand what the primal version of yourself is trying to express to you and you would no longer be tossed around by your unconscious thoughts so through this i learned that my feelings are my friends whether they're good or bad whether they're happy or angry and that's kind of contrary to what a lot of the help that i was seeking at the time was trying to tell me I had a lot of anger and there are a lot of people saying you know that anger is bad but really when I look at it that anger was my ally that anger was one of my best friends I just didn't understand what it was telling me at the time and the people who were trying to help me also did not have the tools to interpret the symbolism that my anger was sharing with me and through this it became beautiful it became beautiful if I was angry I learned how to step back and be like, wow, I'm feeling a little bit angry in this moment, or I'm feeling happy. That's making me laugh. What's that feel like when I laugh? You're able to dive into the emotions, and now it's pretty common for that to be called emotional intelligence the past few years, when realistically that's a practice that has been practiced for centuries by the medicine men and women of this world, by the Tibetans and the Buddhists. They shared with our world how to be the observer and emotional intelligence is exactly what they were describing. So how do you be intelligent with your emotions, with being the observer? You realize that your emotions, when you can step back and engage them for who they are, for what they're sharing with you, that they can tell you who you are and what your energy is in a situation. And when you're able to practice that and really step into it in a deeper and more meaningful way, you're able to see the mirror that life is offering you. You're able to dissolve some of the veil. You're able to dissolve some of the filter in your mind between what's conscious and what's unconscious so that more of the world becomes available to you. As I highlighted before, when some people would be you know, would highlight that I was being, that I was angry as a bad thing. They were putting a judgment on that emotion. And when you really learn to do this well, you understand the essence of what it means that there is no judgment. The only judgment that exists is with you. The only judgment that there could ever be is the perception of your conscious mind, which is a filtered perception. If you go to your unconscious, there is no judgment. If you go straight to where you came from, if you go to the essence of who you are, there is no judgment. Whether you're angry or whether you're happy, it's beautiful. It's empowering. It's ugly. It's vulnerable. You realize that you are saying yes to everything with a smile on your face because the only thing that you can share with those emotions at that point is pure love and appreciation pure gratitude for the path that they're highlighting to you for what they're teaching you so that once again you can step closer to being free of these experiences that are disempowering for you and when I realize this that gratitude, that love, filled me with the power to recognize the times when I feel vulnerable and to practice the love of that feeling so that the next time that I'm in a situation, I can remain more of who I am rather than being swayed by an outside influence. I can stay true to who I am rather than my perception of what someone else's perception may be. You can connect with the version of yourself who is constant, 
the version of you who exists beyond this lifetime. I learned that I can and you can learn that you can walk as a version of yourself who loves you for all that you are. The version of you who lives beyond this version of yourself that continues when your body no longer can so that you can be in that power to understand when you are powerful and when you are vulnerable. This is why I do this work, so that as we work together, you can become the powerful version of yourself, so that any crisis that you have faced or will face will make you stronger soon after, rather than suffering through it the rest of this lifetime. You have the power to recognize your feelings, to feel them in all of your humanness. You no longer have the vulnerability that sends you uncontrollably affected by them. You can observe your experience without getting caught up in the experience so that you have the wisdom to walk, to let the never-ending version of yourself guide you in that walk, instead of being limited by a story that could have only affected you for a moment. Be in the moment. No matter where you find yourself, take a breath and be you even if you don't know who that is yet. Thank you for being part of this practice and for taking an active role in your well-being. Please visit me on the web at journeywithscott.com or on Instagram as Messiah Earthworks. Links are available in the description. I would love to hear from each of you. Please share your suggestions for topics as well as your successes or just say hi. I am currently offering one-on-one energy medicine sessions in person and remotely through Zoom, which can be booked through my website. In these sessions, we work to clean up your energetic field so that you are no longer living the disempowering stories of your past. This helps you to claim the right to be the dreamer of your life, increasing your ability to make the possible become the probable. Let the space of your heart guide your journey, and know that every resource throughout the cosmos is available to you. You just have to show up and meet it halfway.